0: Young Gun, Aaron Rose, welcome. Hello, hello. Uh, just the dynamic duo today. No kitsch, The uh, ghost of Deno is still out there, even though I am going to. Uh, there will be a Christmas miracle this year, and Deno will join us on the pod at some point uh, between now and the new year. So, get, so get ready for your first taste of, of uh, live Deno. Live Deno. Sorry, right. I saw the ghost in person a few weeks ago. You did. You did. But trust me, the pod's a whole other experience. Just watching him get set up for the pod is a whole other experience in itself. Well, that's a two-hour session, that pod. Um, all right, listen, let's, um, let's dive in. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a little uh, depressed, might be too strong of a word, but I'm a little bit um, a little bit dismayed. A little bit dismayed with our raps, uh, where, where we're at, um, 20 games in. We're almost a quarter of the season in, and it doesn't feel like – well, it feels like we know everything we thought we knew. But we might still might be the only ones. But let's before we dive into the big picture stuff, why don't we talk last couple of games? Uh, we'll go quickly back to the uh, Cavs, uh, which I thought very winnable game. You hold Donovan Mitchell at ten points, uh, up ten and a half. It's a game you, you might think we should win that one. Uh, and then we'll go back to last night's game against the uh, the Nets of formerly of New Jersey. So uh, give me your give me your thoughts, Cleveland, and you you can you can go both games if you want. If you
1: right into it. There seems to be one common trend within these two games. Missed free throws has cost this team. They are the second worst free throw shooting team in the NBA. Surprisingly, the Denver Nuggets are the worst. But what's what's frustrating to me or surprising to me is that this team lost last season at the free throw line. de DeRozan, DeMar's daughter, caused them. Should whatever, have. miss miss basically half their free throws in that game. And it's like you should learn from your from your mistakes. You would think that a team that just saw what happens when you miss clutch free throws and a ridiculous number of free throws in a big game would say, all right, we're spending all offseason figuring out how to make some free throws. We brought in the no analytics. We're going to work all day trying to hit free throws. And it just seems like they haven't done that. They've actually gotten worse. Last year, they were... A below-average team, and now they're second worst. So it is troubling to me that they've now lost essentially two games uh, this week because they cannot hit free throws.
0: Well, I know, but how do you account for someone like Gary? I mean, Gary's—I think a career high seventies guy, and he's in the fifties this year. I mean, that makes that makes zero sense. Pascal's down. Uh, Don't know about OG, but uh, I think I think Scotty's up actually. But yeah, I mean, but it, it it might be the ghost of. Of DeRozan's daughter, this could totally be. Uh, it could be a hangover from uh, because you know it's funny on one of the po- uh, podcasts, on one of the telecasts, they were talking about free throw shooting, whether or not it's sort of um, you know is it contagious? And it, it sounds ridiculous that it's contagious, but I but with the regularity that we continue to miss, it is bizarre how that it seems like the majority of the team is in some sort of free throw shooting funk. So I, I don't know. I mean, it makes no sense.
1: But but you also built a team that, you know, there's a correlation between can you shoot free throws and can you hit three-pointers? And you built a team that couldn't shoot. And, and maybe the same things that we're talking about, they need to add more three-point shooters to this roster to space the court, is the same conversation we're kind of having. It's like you, maybe you could bring in a few guys who could hit a few free throws. Because when the game's on the line, you have to take your center out of the game. Because you're afraid he might get hackershacked and go to the free throw line. And it turns out some of the other guys, you're right. That thing with Gary where his free throw numbers have cratered this year is pretty weird. And maybe you can deal with one of those things this season. But Precious has struggled from the line. Pascal has struggled from the line. You built a team that you know you're going to play in a lot of really close games. And you know you want to get into the paint. And you get fouled in the paint. And in close games, you got to make free throws. And this team hasn't been able to do it.
0: I don't know what the market is for um, great free throw throw shooters at the NBA, but uh, I've never really thought about this being a a hole uh, that you may have to try and fill. What's Jose Calderon doing these days? Of course, that implies that you actually have to have someone who can get to the free throw line. Uh, So it is a double. It's a bit of a a double. But in that Cleveland
1: game, I think they had like 20. The Raptors had like 20 free throws more than Cleveland. So they were getting to the line and they were not fouling, which was impressive. It was just an inability to convert. I think they missed nine free throws in that game, which is just pretty unacceptable.
0: Yeah, they were. Let's see if I can. uh, If you want me to tell you, uh, I can tell you what they were. They were. They missed nine free
1: throws in like, yeah, a seven point game or something.
0: 20 for 29, 69 percent. To their uh five for six. but but Jesus only got this line. Yeah, I mean you get to the line twenty-nine times, the other team gets to the line six, you outshoot them in three point. Oh no, we were eight for thirty-two on three-point shooting, and they were ten for thirty-one. But yeah, that's and then to lose the game by three with nine missed free throws. Yeah, there that's, you go that's brutal. I mean, listen, before we dive into this uh the the bigger issue problems, um well, I mean, maybe maybe we do because the last two games to me have been a, a, a total uh, microcosm. I think what the bigger picture problems are. So, where I mean, where do you want to start? You did some you did some Scotty uh, Barnes work that you wanted to share, which I in my head had already been doing that work, thinking that something doesn't look uh, as right as it did at the beginning of the season. So, what is your take on Scotty's hot start with the first six or seven games? He was on fire, uh, all-star type numbers. Uh, To where he is now in the back half, where to me, again, if I'm just going eye test, yeah, not the same player. Not the same player.
1: So I went into this with what I thought was my assumption on what was wrong. I figured that his shot diet would change, that Pascal's getting more shots at the rim and scotty has been forced into taking tougher shots. And that hasn't really been the case. If you look at his shot diet in terms of where his shots are coming from at the percentage of shots at the rim, short, mid-range, long, mid-range, three-point shots, it's virtually identical first seven games to the last 11 games. What's changed, though, is his, per- his field goal percentage on those long mid-range shots. It has cratered. Now, he was shooting something like 65% through the first seven games on long yeah. mid-range shots. And that's like Steph Curry, Kevin Durant numbers. Frankly, that's that's DeMar DeRozan, unsustainable numbers. So maybe while we were getting all excited about Scottie Barnes' breakout, we should have looked under the hood and said, maybe this isn't quite sustainable. And now you look at the numbers, and he's shooting 35% over the last 11 games on long mid-range jumpers. And I'm not sure he's necessarily a 35% long mid-range jump shooter. That said, he's probably closer to 35% than 65%. And I was hoping we were going to see some usage uh, dynamic change that's led to this, uh, you know, this the reason his numbers have fallen off. But it might just be old-fashioned regression and that he's not going to shoot some crazy number uh, on mid-range jumpers because nobody does that in the NBA except for the truly, truly, truly elite. And even then, 65% on mid-range shots is, is pretty outrageous.
0: Tell me it's not another Matt Chapman scenario. Tell me it's not going to be that bad. I mean, Chapman got off to the hottest start in the in the the league this year, and then was a disaster the rest of the season. Tell me it's not Scotty's future. Yeah. So you know I
1: again I don't think he will be as bad as he looks now and I don't think he will necessarily be as good as he looked at the beginning of the season and just like Gary who struggled a lot and it seems to be coming out of it a little bit but but totally. there's a reason you can't just look at a seven game sample size and say all right this is the new Scotty Barnes that people got really excited about what Scotty was doing at the beginning of the year and his usage rate has come down as Pascal C. Atkins has jumped forward but in terms of like the underlying numbers I think a lot of it is just he's missing shots that he was making before because the the shots that he was making were pretty ridiculous. It's really, really hard to live on mid-range jump shots. And Darko talked about this the other day. He needs to get to the rim more because you can have a pretty sustainable idea. When you get to the rim, you're going to score whatever it is, 75%.
0: Well, okay. So, listen, damn near impossible to survive on a mid-range jump shot in the NBA anymore. Unless you're like, DeMar. There's like seven guys. And DeMar being yeah. the top of the list, for sure. Um, but here he is last 10, okay, 33 minutes, which we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, still shooting at great from three point land, thirty eight percent in his last ten, which is what he's pretty much for the season. Uh, but field goal, like you said, he's forty two percent in his last ten, which is, I mean, way too low for him. Well, like, just way too low. Uh, free throw seventy five, uh, eight rebounds, five assists, half a block. He's not block as many shots as he used to. Uh, two steals, sixteen point eight points per game. So, like on the surface, they don't look. It's not terrible, but from where he was at the beginning. But to your point, he's definitely missing a lot of the same shots. However, it would appear to me. The strategy of having Scotty in that post, backing a, usually a smaller defender down and getting higher quality looks like, I mean, literally right at the rim. And I know last night he had a bunch that he just missed, uh, but we've, we've seemed to have gone away from that, right? It doesn't seem like he is that guy as much where he is settling for that eight to 10 footer, as opposed to continue to, to finish. I mean, let, let's throw it last night. Cause he couldn't do anything last night other than make, I think four, three pointers and, and one other bucket. So, um, but so there seems to be a change in that, which I think is a bit of a change in the overall what's going on with Scotty conversation. Like you said, Pascal's definitely a different Pascal than he was first seven or eight games. But I just, it's something again, here I am, like the, uh, the body language test, the, the eye test. Right. So, so the problem with what you're saying is that you're saying what I thought
1: I was going to see, which is that he's not being used in the same way in those shots that he used to come getting four feet in the rim or whatever, that he was going to get really close to the hoop. He's not getting those anymore. But statistically speaking, he's still getting the same number of shots. He's actually getting more shots at the rim over the last 11 games than the first seven. So he's still getting shots at the rim. It's not those shots that have really changed. It's the fact that he's missing more Mid-range jumpers than he was before, and again, we should have looked at the numbers and said, "This guy's in the one hundredth percentile for mid-range jump shooting." And unless you think scotty Barnes is suddenly Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard, then you got to realize that he's going to come dip back down to earth, and I think we're seeing that right now.
0: Well, there's that too. I mean, and I would also potentially argue that his shot selection, um, isn't as tidy as it could be either. Like, I think he settles, and I think in a in a, in a Few cases recently, he's taken some bad shots, right? Last night, there was, a, there was a, a series we came down, pulled up way too quick for a three, front rimmed it. We get luckily get the offensive rebound, goes right back to him. He front rims it again. Like, I didn't think the second one, I didn't like the first one. I sure shit didn't like the second one after front rim the first one. So, there, I think there's some of that going on. But again, like maybe I'm trying to dig here for something that's not there, but it feels the offense with him feels different. And I'll tell you what. The Scotty that I think we all want to see is the Scotty with the second unit. When he is when he's running that second unit, he is much more engaged in my opinion. In my opinion, he seems much more engaged, uh more aggressive, everything. Here's another thing I want you to look for. You're going to think I'm crazy, and I'm not picking on my guy uh Dennis. But I swear last night there was not, in the uh in the Nets game, I don't know that there was a pass between Scotty and Dennis. At any point in that game, I don't. I, I'm telling you, I can't. Uh, I can't validate that. I think I can. I was watching for it. I think in the second half, I can absolutely tell you there was not one pass between those two, uh, and they seem to be a little bit in conflict, not with each other personality-wise. I just mean in conflict with whose role when they're both on the floor. Any, any, any thoughts on that with the two of them on the floor together?
1: Well, I'll go to the first thing you were saying, which was Scotty plus the bench unit is he has to be more aggressive in those lineups because nobody else is scoring, right? You, you think right. back to the you know Kyle plus bench. Kyle was able to actually run those bench units really, really successfully. And that's now the Raptors had a better bench at the time. Some of those guys went on to become all-stars. But Scottie has been more aggressive in those units because he's had to be. But I think if you look at the on-off numbers or how those lineups are actually performing... They've struggled a lot. Scotty plus four yeah. bench unit guys. So you have to add in another starter and then you're changing your rotations. And I'm sure we'll chat about rotations soon. Uh, Scotty has to be more aggressive in those lineups because there's nobody else who's going to score. And then in terms of what it's like when he's in the starting lineup, well, the Raptors starting lineup right now has a negative net rating. So it's a problem when your best lineup yeah. Is struggling. I think that goes back to the fact that when Dennis is on, Yak is probably on and Scotty's on uh, in this lineup we're talking about. And now all of a sudden your spacing is all clogged up and you, who's running the point. Is it Pascal? Is it Scotty making decisions? Is it Dennis making decisions? How does the fit work with Yak of Uh and, and we keep talking about the same, the same topic that the fit of this starting lineup and the core group here uh, is, is pretty awkward.
0: Yeah. I mean, so basically what I heard you say there is I agree. I agree with you, Dave. Is what I is what I heard. But yes, I, I agree. It it is, and we're going to talk about that in, in thirty seconds. But just to close the loop on Scotty, uh, I, I find him. There's again, I could be looking for stuff here, but he seems to be throwing his hands up in the air a little bit more. Seems to be complaining to the refs a heck of a lot more than than he used to. Uh, there may have been a there may have been a bad dive attempt uh, last night. I actually thought they might they were going to call him on it. Uh, I. I don't know. I, I, any any th- any concerns? Any thoughts on Sky? Maybe just being a bit of a a whiny, Lowry like uh, sort of demeanor out there.
1: When you're losing, it's whiny and annoying. And when you're winning, it's Kyle Lowry's the greatest player of all time. And look at the fire he's playing with. So it's all about the success of the team. So I'm not too concerned about that. You know, you mentioned uh, shot selection earlier. And again, that was something Darko touched on. And I think it's a little bit intriguing to me that For three years now, ever since he got in the league, his head coach, whether it's Nick or Darko, has been saying, Scotty can get to the rim. If he really tries, he's got the body, he's got the speed, he has all the tools to get to the rim whenever he wants. And obviously it's not, you know, NBA defenders are paid a lot of money to stop that, but uh, his coaches have always been saying, get to the rim, you can do it, that's where you're at the best. And his numbers in terms of, again, his shot diet haven't really increased at the rim. So it's like, why are you settling for these shots that like, I I guess you're okay at, but even being okay at mid range shots, uh, isn't nearly as effective as being okay at the rim. And Scotty, you look at him and you're like, this guy is a physical freak. He's strong. He's fast. He's athletic. He can do all these things on the court. You should be able to use your speed and use your size to bully a guy in the paint. And and for whatever reason, his coaches have been saying to do it and he just hasn't done it yet.
0: Consistently enough. uh, Yeah. But again, like I, I think if we were to go back and look at those first five or six games, I'm telling you, he was way more aggressive at the rim. And I think this, I think the mid range shots were coming after his aggression. They're like it just felt like he was at the rim all the time in those first five or six games, backing guys down, scoring. So, yeah, it might be, listen, I mean, this is all come back to Darko uh, if we want. So, um, all right. Well, listen, we will, we'll keep an eye on this. But yeah, I mean, five for 19 last night, Sky, that's, that's a, that's a rough one. Um, but again, I mean, he's, it's hard to pick on him too uh there's 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 lots going on um but we will keep an eye keep an eye on guys just like we were keeping an eye on pascal and you know what we should just quickly talk pascal uh speaking of the weekly check-in yeah i mean he seems pretty good he seems uh i mean he's obviously playing better i think he's more involved like of course nets game i, mean, I don't know if he, i don't know if he took 3 shots in the fourth quarter Like it's like he didn't exist in the fourth quarter to a certain extent, but again, I'm not blaming him for that. Uh, but I would say overall Pascal, uh, seems to be, uh, not quite back to his, uh, all-star form of, of last year, but close. His post-up has been extremely effective,
1: whether he's actually getting the ball in the post and scoring or post-up, a second defender comes and he kicks out. He's been cocky about that. He's saying he's one of the best in the the league when it comes to that shot. And frankly, the stats back it up. So he's entitled to be cocky about that shot. Uh, It wasn't, I don't think, the Raptors' plan going into the year saying we're going to run a 1990s offense where we're going to play post-up with Pascal Siakam. That probably wasn't what Darko drew up. But it's been working because I think that to get Pascal Siak more involved in the offense, they have found this little game that he's playing where he just gets the ball down there, he posts up his defender, kick out or score, and he's been really, really effective. If he could only get his three-point shot to fall. Oh. A few years ago, it seemed like that was trending in the right direction, and for whatever reason, it has cratered this year.
0: Well, at one stage, what was, he was over his last 19 uh, at whatever game I was at last week, so then he, and then he buried one in, in, a, in cleanup time, so it didn't matter, but yeah, since then... I don't know. Is he, I don't know if he's made one. I think he's maybe one or two for his last fifteen, sixteen. It's been again. rough. Like, it, it's it's been bad. Um, but here, comment about Darko and his his how he drew it up. You know what, Dark, whatever he drew up, he should rip up, uh, and start over again with Siakam being the focal point in his office. That is absolutely where he needs to be. Uh, is somewhere in that paint with his back to the basket taking guys to the, that no question that's where he's most effective and it is amazing after all these years you think people but his little spin move is still incredibly effective like some of the shots he made last night off of that were awesome and he's got a little bit of a uh, eight foot fall away off one leg that he can bury like totally i i agree with that um but what i'll tell you he because what he can't do and you may disagree with me um even though i'd caution you on that um I don't think he can take anybody off the dribble like at a standstill one-on-one. I, I'm telling you right now, I would feel very comfortable if he was 18 feet out and I was guarding him. I'm telling you that right now. I don't, he goes right 95% of the time. And I don't know. I mean, just again, watching it. How many times does he take a guy in open space off the dribble? Going, He's forward, not.
1: He's yeah. So that's what you just said at the end, I think is the yeah. key piece there. So he will face you up and then turn around and yes. sort of back you down. I don't want and that. then, as we were talking about the post-up, but but why does it matter how he's doing it? As long as he's beating his defender, it might not be the James Harden hesitation, step back, step back three that we used to see. Everyone sort of has their move, whether it's the Dirk fade away, or whether it's the uh, you know Kobe shot, or whether it's the Jordan, whatever. And I'm not saying Pascal Siakam's on that level, but Pascal Siakam's shot is dribble in, turn around, back the guy down, and then hit the spin move. And it's really, really effective.
0: Totally agree. And I wasn't, I wasn't critiquing the standpoint of, uh, why is it? No, I agree. It doesn't matter how you do it, but I'm just saying in the instances where he tries to, where he doesn't. Oh, sorry.
1: And you would not be able to defend the spin move.
0: Oh, no, no question. I'm (laughs) saying a hundred percent. I would be in the spin cycle for sure. No no way I could defend that. Get that on the record. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely on the record. Uh, however, what I'm saying is and he did it last night. It was, uh, it was first half ball in the wing and didn't go to his back down move. Right. Didn't they, he was trying to take the, whoever it was off the dribble, lost it, like tried to go to his right towards the baseline. And it was like, that's all I'm saying. I just find him as a one-on-one. If he's going forward, uh, he's limited. He's limited, right. He's gotta, he's gotta get his back. He's gotta get his back on the guy for sure. All right, listen, uh, but all things I would say pointing in a good direction for Pascal considering where he was. So I, I'm, i'm super happy with pascal uh which i'm sure is important uh all right oh, big picture. i'll, I'll let pascal know yeah please do yeah the next session if you wouldn't mind uh <laughs> were you at uh were they did they practice today no back to back nothing okay nothing. um all right big picture stuff uh and i don't know if Darko qualifies as big picture but let's talk Darko for a second uh because I think his offense, his style is big picture-ish because he should be around for a while. Now, I, mean, I am curious, Aaron, any any uh, information, any news on who got the chains the last two games? Any, was there any, anyone get the chain? Uh, the, oh.
1: Uh, uh, oh, yeah.
0: The chain requires oh, a the, win. Oh, oh, I, I see. No, okay. actually,
1: Tristan Thompson got the chain for the
0: Cavaliers. I saw that. Yeah. So I know you were so happy. I didn't know he was that. still in the league. Yeah. yeah. What a trend. What a trend. You know what? I think I still knew he was in the league. I just didn't know he had the ability to dominate a team like the Raptors, uh, like he did the other rough. night. Yeah, that was brutal. Team Canada, please grab him. By the way, I mean that. Grab just in case he's, he's got to be he's got to be worthy of a 12th 12, 12 uniform in that team. Just in case they, they could use <laughs> some bigs. They could totally use some bigs. Um, but Darko, and I know you sent the clip out after one of the games. Uh, I think it was the Indiana game. When he comes in the locker room all geeked out because they won that game. Uh, and he he's super excited. And, you know, I, I get it. I still think that stuff wears thin, but I, I think he's struggling. I really think he's struggling right now with his in-game management. Uh, and I, and I know we talked about this previously, but let's talk rotations for a second. I think his rotations are borderline disastrous. And let me start with the first part. I'll let you comment and then we'll, we'll but, This whole, I I don't agree with any coach who does it, but I don't think too many do to take your starter out six minutes into every first quarter. And that's, that's the Barnes rotation comes out at six back in at two. I don't understand it. I I think it's really hard to ask your starter to come in, play six minutes, come out. I'm much more nine to 10 minutes, then get him out for the last two of the quarter, wait the first four, of the next come. But then you look at his use of the bench. And their rotations nobody knows night to night what's happened other than malachi other than his guy malachi he loves malachi malachi's getting the 16 minutes at night but if you're mcdaniels if you're precious if you're boucher you don't know if you're playing three minutes no minutes uh 18 minutes it seems to be all over the map and then it also seems towards the end of the games he's really he got bailed out last night by the Cavs calling time otherwise guys on that bench for god knows how long but i'm just saying in general he seems a little bit overwhelmed uh on the game management. And I'm going to let yeah. I'm going to let you respond. So much there.
1: So first so of much. all, I agree. I agree.
0: Your, your problem
1: with the Scotty Barnes minutes is he takes Scotty out too early. And we know he does that because he's setting up Scotty plus the bench that you, you said you liked earlier. And then your problem with the end of the game is that he takes out Scotty too early. Or, or sorry, too late in the game, gives him a quick breather and then brings him back. But you're a little bit nervous about that. It sounds to me. Like you think the Raptors would be at their best if Scotty played forty-eight minutes. Because you want Scotty getting more minutes at the beginning of the game and you want Scotty getting more minutes at the end of the game. Do you also want him getting more minutes in the middle of the game? Okay, well, let me let me clarify something here.
0: <laughs> what I said was Scotty looks like a different player when it's him and the four and the four whoevers. Uh, I didn't say I like that lineup. I'm saying I like Scotty in that lineup. That's not a winning lineup. Right? When you have a, when you've got a starter with four bench guys. We're in big trouble, but Scotty does appear to be more uh, in charge. That's what I was, that's what I was trying to, to make that point. No, obviously I don't want Scotty playing forty eight minutes a game. However, I'm not as panicked about his minutes as maybe a one of the younger members of this pod uh, is. As you pointed out last night, uh, that you, I was at the Nick Nurse School of Minutes uh, Monitoring. Here's what I think. I think in games where where it's winnable, I think you have to be willing to modify your Uh, minutes distribution. I think it's really important to have the guys that you want to close the game with available and on the floor the last five, five and a half minutes. I just put that's the core philosophy. I think subbing in and out, having your, having your probably second best player, maybe arguably first best player, not on the floor five minutes to go in the fourth quarter of a winnable game. I don't like it. I just don't like it. I think it's I think it's a losing strategy, which we may have some evidence of. And I think this team has to know there's gonna be plenty of nights where we're not gonna need our starters in the fourth quarter, whether we're blowing a crappy team out like Washington or we're getting our asses handed to us when we're playing Philadelphia. Right. So there's so there's that too. So I'm just to me it's more of a frustration in the winnable games. Uh it seems pretty rigid at the moment and it seems pretty sort of baked in. This is just how we're doing it. Uh game game um situations be damned. That's my point.
1: So so then the other part of the comment you made is that you don't know who's coming off the bench on any given night. And, and to a certain extent, I think this is my problem with Darko or maybe the front office. It's that I'm not sure. We know the talent-wise, that this team is a play-in tournament, middle of the Eastern Conference team talent-wise. But if you look at the way the rotations are being used or the usage of certain players like Scotty Barnes, are they trying to develop... McDaniels and Scotty, in terms of playing them more minutes, or are they trying to win games? Because you would think that Otto Porter Jr. would be on the court uh, as one of the better. no I'm not saying Otto Porter Jr. is some star, but you would think that he's proven that at least the Raptors are winning his minutes when he's on the court. So you would think that they would try and use him as one of those guys off the bench. But if you wanted to say to me, listen, Otto Porter Jr. is not part of our future, we're trying to develop Precious Achua, whose stock I might be. Sort of selling a little bit low right now. I'm not. But if, I'm not
0: selling yet. I'm not selling yet.
1: If, if you said, "Listen, we're gonna we're gonna run these young guys in the rotation, ten guys deep, come hell or high water," because we're thinking about the future, that's fair. But you got to use that consistency everywhere, and you got to give Scotty Barnes the ball, and you got to maybe tweak the roster to be younger. It's this inconsistency in terms of are you. Trying to develop for the future or are you trying to win games now? And that is confusing me. And that's my problem with Darko's roster and rotation, excuse me. Because if you're trying to win games now, run the offense through Pascal Siakman, play Otto Porter Jr. and maybe limit the minutes of some of the other young guys who haven't quite earned it so far.
0: Well, they sure should do that with my with my guy Grady. It's gonna be real tough to make a uh, all rookie team uh, from the 905. I'll tell you that right now. Um, okay. But that's the problem. It is, it is the team speaking on both sides of their mouths,
1: right? Yeah, that's and, been the problem I, for a couple of years now.
0: And it's the, it's, and I think there's a huge anti Nick Nurse sentiment as far as the style and approach, right? Because Nick's the whole play my guys, run them into the ground, don't develop players. Even though I don't think, I don't, I'm not sure that was Nick wasn't willing to develop players. I just think Nick made a quick assessment, a relatively quick assessment of what he had and said, you know what? I can't play these guys if I'm trying to win. Masai's telling everybody, he's telling Siakam, he's telling OG, we're trying to win. Siakam's saying, I want to be in a place where I can win and have fun. Uh, Darko is not necessarily constructing a rotation that is going to put them in the best position to win game in and game out. Yet, Masai's also said, and he said at the end of last uh, season and the beginning of this uh, season, they don't tell, front office does not tell the coach how to coach. Now maybe that changed. At least he—that's what he said about nurse. Maybe that's changed. But if it hasn't, this is Darko saying this is my way. I'm developing these guys. And but again, I don't know how that can be his way if the front office is still out there telling everybody we're trying to win, we're trying to be a contender because that's kind of what they've been saying. So you know, and Kitch mentioned it on one of the chats. It's just the direction of this team is such a mystery. Um, and if they don't. If it's not, if it doesn't become obvious the next 15 to 17 games, 35 games in this, to the season, I mean, we are going to be, we're going to be very much in a situation like we were last year at the trade deadline going, what are we doing? And that scares like, me.
1: Like if this was Detroit and you had 10 young guys, a bunch of lottery picks, and you just wanted to see who of these guys yeah, could play in an NBA rotation. You'd be like, all right, let's play 10 guys. We're not trying to win. Let's just see who has it. Because at the end of this year or the end of next year, we'll be able to whittle down. We'll see. Is Precious Achua a guy or not? Is McDaniels a guy or not? But it seems like, as you mentioned, there's a disconnect where the front office is sort of saying, we want you to develop, but we also want to win games now. And they've built a roster that isn't good enough to win games now, but you look at the age, they're an above average age team in the NBA. They're one of the older teams. It's not like they loaded their bench up with young guys. And even Dennis Schroeder isn't that young. And even Jakob Burtl isn't that young. So there seems to be a disconnect. And, if if you're trying to be the developmental organization, then I get what Darko's doing. But if you're trying to be the winning organization, because winning is really important to development, as they've said for years now, then you're not really your rotation doesn't make a ton of sense. All
0: right. It's so you're problem. not buying you're not buying into Darko's overmatched here, overwhelmed a little bit with some of that. you you're not you're not there yet.
1: It's I think if they're actually trying to win games, then maybe you can look at it and say he's overmatched because he's not doing a good job of trying to win games. But I think it, he's been put in a tough spot where I think he was hired as they like come in, be the anti-Nick Nurse, develop their bench. And the front office has given him a weird roster. So it's really early for me to say anything super critical of Darko. Uh, let's see when this team finally picks a direction. And I have to think we're a couple months away from that being a decision that this team is going to face. And I think he was kind of brought in to be the developmental guy. And if you look at his rotations, they kind of make sense from a developmental perspective.
0: Yeah, I, listen, wholeheartedly agree, uh, but it, it just doesn't, just doesn't jive with, with everything else they're, that they're telling us. So, uh, all right, but one last thing and I sent you guys a, I sent you guys a little snippet from his, uh, his philosophy or his understanding of the challenge uh, options that they have during, during games did that not concern you a little bit that little that his comment on how they view the challenge system i know they have a coach dedicated to it but when you use words like it's a learning process for all of us especially as you said with the change of the rule that you can uh, that you can get that challenge back like to me the challenge process is very straightforward and very simplistic in nature but they seem to we seem to be struggling with it yet again this year i thought it was a nurse problem it might be an organization problem there was
1: also that, you know, I don't necessarily blame him for this, but the whole running up the score against the Bulls, uh, DeMar DeRozan was very upset, but the Raptors didn't realize they had already been eliminated from the in-season tournament. They were eliminated earlier in their day, so I'm not going to nitpick there, but but if what you're saying is that he maybe hasn't figured out all the rules uh, that are changing and constantly changing in the NBA, maybe that's a little alarming. But again, yeah, uh, yeah. he's a first-year head coach. This team isn't trying to win a championship now, even if their front office might be trying to. But anyways, uh, this team isn't trying to win a ton of games right now. So I'm okay if he's, to a certain extent, uh, learning on the job. And, and, and frankly, taking ownership of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, I will 100% give him, cred- him a ton of credit for that. He owns it. Good, bad, or otherwise, he owns it. Uh, so he, he, that's great. Now, but let me ask you this. Do you think we'd be in a better spot right now uh record wise and future wise if adoka if i may adoka was our coach probably but i think
1: he's been given a team that maybe has a more clear objective this season like for sure the rockets are trying to take a step forward and I, you know, I haven't been playing paying super close attention to what his rotations look like and what he's doing. Um, you know, obviously there were off the court concerns uh, related to Ime Udoka, and I, I'm not sure if the Raptors did their due diligence there. Um, but I'm not ready to like slag Darko and say uh, you know he was a bad coaching hire quite yet.
0: Yeah, I'm too early on bad coaching hire uh, for sure. I'm probably being a little too hard on him. Twenty games in, uh, but. You know, sometimes you get a read, sometimes you get a vibe. And great guy, nice guy. Just don't know that he's ever gonna be coaching a championship team, whether it be with the Raptors or anybody else. But that's pure conjecture. This at twenty games into his professional uh and and you know, in his defense we talked about last week, not sure they surrounded him with with a with a deep sort of uh experienced bench from a coaching perspective either. So that interesting on that one. But I'm sure Dark would have big hand picking his his coaches. Um all right, listen uh i didn't have anything else for us on raptor land at the moment is there did we miss anything else you want to touch on uh before we
1: no i, I can touch on it in, in any other business coming up in a little bit
0: oh okay perfect uh well as you mentioned uh in-season tournament that is now conclude the uh regular se- regular season portion of the in-season tournament uh has concluded we have our participants uh two questions one do you care and two are you surprised? Because I think this is the prevailing thought. I was surprised how much the players are aware, seem to care, and are saying, certainly saying all the right things about the tournament.
1: I don't care. Uh, now that the Raptors are out of it, I don't care. Uh, I suppose I'm, it's been interesting because some of the players have really, including Damar, and I think he's been backed up by a few other guys, maybe Bam Adebayo being one of them, that they're like really annoyed with the whole running up the score kind of thing that we we've seen and, and in some ways has made these games a little bit interesting that you're actually paying attention to how many points is, are the nets beating the raptors by because they need x Ooh. amount of points to make it to the next round so it is kind of interesting the players don't seem to love that aspect uh, it sounds like a lot of the players think five hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money frankly, they're right, uh, even to the players who make a lot of money. And, and you know, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but a guy like Dame Willard said, it's not a ton of money to me, but it's a ton of money to some of my teammates. And I'm going to be the leader on this team. And I'm going to try my best to get it for the 12th man on this roster or the guy on a two way contract. Uh, so it's great to see teammates sticking up for their other teammates. I probably won't be particularly locked into uh, the next couple of games. Uh, but it sounds like all the ratings for the games, TV ratings are up. So I think that's a huge success for the NBA.
0: Well, listen, any professional athlete should know, should live by one, uh, by one guiding light. It may not appear like a lot of money right now to you, but it sure shit might be a lot of money to you 10, 15, 20 years down the road. So I wouldn't, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone should be out there taking $500,000 for granted. So, so I agree with, uh, it is a lot of money. It's, it's a, it's a lot of money, whether you make in Thirty-five million a year or making two million a year. So, uh, oh, oh, good hold, good save, good save on the, uh, on the pod. We'll have to get that out there. Um, listen, I like it. I, I, I didn't, I don't, I think I was ambivalent towards it, uh, but I actually am a fan of it, I, and I'm sure it'll continue. But I loved last night. Raps down, raps down fifteen with nine seconds left. They inbound the ball. They race down, get a wide open three. OG buried it, and they were doing that because for the tournament, because they knew that that point, although had nothing to do with their outcome could mean something to the other two. Like, I don't know. I kind of like the players giving a shit about not just themselves or their, even their team. In that case, they were trying to help potentially another team. Uh, I kind of, I think it's got a lot of good things going on. And I think, uh, a week from now, a week and a half from now, when we're, when everyone's in Vegas, uh, it's going to be a hoopla. There's going to be, there's going to be fanfare around it. It'll be kind of a, we're we're all going to be interested. And I guarantee you the ratings for that for a December 9th game, will be much higher than they would be any other time uh, of, a, of a December past, right? So I like it. I'm in. I'm in. And, and, and I
1: think the other thing is that, like, this isn't... It, it wasn't the perfect in-season tournament, but just like this Raptors head coach, give it some time, and it'll figure out its quirks, and they'll take some of the things, they'll oh. realize... Next year, they'll run back the teams will realize earlier on in the tournament that these point differential really matters. Everyone was talking about it Game 4, but maybe in Game 1, teams are going to be thinking more about that to bank some more points for the fourth game. Uh, So I think the courts, we could probably do without what they look like, but I think that there will be aspects of this in-season tournament that will continue into future in-season tournaments and maybe they add something else or they tweak something else uh, i don't think this will be what we see in five years from now uh, but i'm i'm all for the nba trying new things is learning as long as they learn from their mistakes and, and continue doing what has worked uh from from tournaments or ideas prior
0: yeah i think so i think so. that's what silver is all about right is obviously grow revenues grow exposure and i think he is willing to accept sort of when things go poorly and and adapt so which unlike his predecessor so uh all right listen um a couple other nba just quick comments we don't have to spend a ton of time on them uh now you seemed puzzled when i suggested that we have a quick uh comment on draymond and his return to action last night and just the whole five game suspension uh did you want to is there anything is there anything you care about that because my position is the nba and the and the warriors uh, wars have created a monster.
1: Yeah. Y- y- you've, you've been I've on lost Draymond you. Green Island uh many times before. You know, <laughs> you can you can you can live on Draymond your Green it's like
0: you're eight you can, li- many times before
1: you have been. You can live on Draymond Green is, you know, not good for the NBA or not good for the Warriors Island. I'm going to continue telling you that this guy is a first ballot Hall of Famer, yeah, Jesus. revolutionized yeah. defense in the NBA with his versatility, with his switchability. And maybe I'll go ask Kevin Durant, who we know feuded with him, uh, what he means to the NBA and the Warriors. And I think he'd tell you that he's one of the most integral players uh, to that team uh, and the success they've had uh, over
0: the past decade. Okay, listen. No, now listen. This is the only time ever where I long for Kitch in moments like this. Not only the only time, but I need Kitch right now. Listen, uh, we're not talking about historical where he fits into the, the Warriors champion. I'm talking about a guy who put another NBA player in a ridiculous headlock for way too long, got a five game suspension, and basically came back and said, "Yeah, I have no regrets." Yeah, and then got teed up in his first game last night, right? What? What?
1: But but that's, that's the that's million. the Draymond Green package. That's like it, it's like the Jordan rolls. You know what I mean? You watch Jordan and you're like, he punched Didn't Jordan punch his teammate? We should ask that Steve Kerr about that. It's like when you're winning, you can kind of do some of these things. And sometimes, you know, we talk about this player's mentality: is he tough enough? Is he crazy enough? Draymond Green has that. Would it be better if he toned it down and didn't put guys in headlocks? Sure, but maybe hey, you need some of that crazy to be as good and as special as he's been.
0: Jordan picked on somebody's own size. Steve Kerr was a was a beast back then. All right, he was a beast. Don't don't let, don't let the Steve Kerr on the sidelines fool you. Okay. Uh, no, listen. I, I'm just saying, it, it it appears that there's a uh, probably a less than positive ending to this story, right? I just think this is where it's headed. It, it doesn't appear that he is like. It doesn't appear he's learned at all learning from these episodes to go, Hey, I need to change my ways. He talks about, way oh, I could do things differently. Yeah. You could totally do things things differently. Don't choke another guy out. How about that? That's a good start. Don't cold cock your teammate. Who's hundred pounds lighter than you. Yeah. Don't do that. Who wasn't, didn't, who wasn't in a position to defend himself. Wasn't ready for the punch. Like there's a million things here. It's got nothing to do with what kind of player he is or what his contributions to that team are. I'm the first to admit he's yes. For the 33rd pick. Uh, I believe he was in his in his draft class. Uh, it's a pretty great success story. The second name for the maybe first pick. What's that? If he went number one overall, it would be a success. Well, less, less, uh, much more expected. If he was the number one overall pick. Sure. So he's going to go down as the second greatest, potentially the second greatest second round pick of all time.
1: If you say so. Do you know who the first is? Uh,
0: Jokic. Yeah, there you go. See, okay, good. Same page. Um all right, quickly, let's 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 move off that. Uh, we'll wait for Kit. Next time I bring up anything like that, Kit will have to be on. Um LeBron. shout out Norm
1: Powell, number three. Norm Powell.
0: You know what? I don't know if Norm would be number three, but pretty successful career for Norm. I love Norm. I wish we never trade him. Um LeBron. LeBron has taken a more than his fair share of uh speaking of punches. Uh he has from this group of uh well prior your prior to your arrival. Uh, but I just want to take thirty seconds to say that I am. Each year I I call for his demise and and it's going to show up. But he's thirty nine years old, turning forty. What he's doing this year, I don't know. It's un, certainly unprecedented. Uh, he's probably could play for another three or four years at a at a relatively high level. Uh, but I mean, I say relatively high level. He's he's easily second team all NBA all NBA right now, easily.
1: Yeah it's it's it is unprecedented and and I'm hopeful you know his son is healthy and can play in the NBA sometime soon because seeing that would be unprecedented and truly incredible uh seeing him play alongside his son Bronny James uh I think it's one of those things where we will long for LeBron and remember him more Uh, once he leaves the NBA and think oh my god like we'll never see another guy doing what he's doing at 39 eventually 40 years old whatever it is 20 years in the league so uh, as you mentioned truly spectacular uh, career but it's not like one of these guys like Vince Carter no offense to Vince but who was like you know a bench player and an old man uh, on some of these teams toward the end Uh, the fact that LeBron is still as you mentioned an all-NBA caliber guy this late into his career is is remarkable.
0: Yeah, I mean, just to put it in context, he's averaging twenty-five, seven rebounds, and six and a half assists on, I think thirty-one minutes, thirty-two minutes uh a game. Uh three point percentage, which is shocking. Uh sorry, that's his last ten. But thirty-five percent overall from um Oh no, sorry, yeah. No, I think he's I think he's thirty eight percent overall from uh three point and shooting at fifty five percent from overall. Like it's it's incredible. And when you watch him, I mean I wouldn't Yeah, he probably doesn't jump as high as he used to, but none of it—none of it's obvious. There's no obvious sort of like, oh, he's really regressed this year. I mean, these are—it's incredible. Yeah, he's actually shooting at 39% from three-point line. So there you
1: go. And and the fact that, like, he obviously is like, again, I'll, I'll say, physical freak. Like the fact that he's built the way he is with the athleticism and the size has made him, you know, arguably the greatest player of all time. But he's so smart, and that's what's allowed him to play this late into his career. So not just one of these guys that can overpower you physically, jump out of the gym. We know he can do that. Maybe not to the same extent as he could earlier in his career. Uh, but the brain that he brings to the court, uh, his basketball IQ is probably second to none in the NBA.
0: Well, you don't listen. Uh, it would have been too easy just to be nice to LeBron the whole time this segment. But you're right. He is a very smart basketball player. And if you're, if you're unsure, just ask him because he will definitely tell you that he, how smart he is as a basketball player. So, uh, but he is saying, so anyway, but you know what, before we digress uh, into any LeBron uh, non niceties, uh, LeBron, congrats. Let's get this out on TikTok, producer, John, and see if we can get some positive LeBron feedback. Cause every time we have a LeBron clip out there, it usually is hate filled that uh, two old white guys is usually what we, what we get. Those are, that's the, uh, that's the general theme of our, of our feedback. Uh, all right. Listen, that's it. What drives an AOB. So uh, I'm going to have you start with what drives while I try and find my what drives that I keep all my notes, all my notes. So if you got so a what drive, you're all We up.
1: touched on this earlier in the podcast, the Raptors free throw shooting. And How? what has driven me crazy this year is the Raptors have had a couple technical foul shots where the best player on the court, sorry, the best free throw shooter on the court has not taken that free throw and to me, this isn't rocket science. The best free throw shooter should take the technical free throw every single time. I'm not worried about, should I get Scotty Barnes going? Should I get OG Ananobi going? Who should I get going? Who should I reward on this play? You look at the stats and you say, all right, here are the five guys on the court. Oh, Dennis shooters on the court. He's taking the free throw. Just make the free throw. Because if you lose a game by one point, because you let somebody who is not the best free throw shooter on the court, take the free throw. You're a moron. So the Raptors need to like pay more attention to these free throw, these technical free throws, because it's, it's really not that hard. The best player shoots it every single time.
0: Listen, awesome. that, that seems like common sense. It seems like apparently it, common yeah. sense isn't that common. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. Listen, that's, that's what drives you crazy. It's common sense. is not that common. That's really there the thing. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm going to stick with, um, well, close to the same, uh, a similar, similar theme. And it drives me crazy every time I watch a basketball, play, uh, basketball game in the NBA. I'm sure I've talked about it on the pod before, but it seems to be happening with more regularity. And it's driving me. Like This whole concept of the referees seeing the play, what appears to be a very obvious infraction of some sort, let the play finish and then blow the whistle the number of times where it would appear they're not going to blow the whistle but then there's some sort of reaction they hear the slight and then the foul is is called it's it's ridiculous it it seems like there's like well if he scores the basket then we maybe won't call it it's that kind of concept we'll see if he finishes but if he doesn't finish well then we'll call a foul and it, it do you, have you seen, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? It's, it's, it's what goes for superstars. So unfortunately
1: the Raptors don't have a ton of superstars who get the superstar whistle. Uh, but that's, that's the whistle you get when you're a superstar in the NBA.
0: Yeah. But I, I mean, listen, it's certainly more common uh, at the superstar level. I think it happens with everyone. Um, but I think it, it certainly is more, more common there. And listen, the reason why we're, I'm, I'm convinced that the cry wolf, Siakam. Howling, screaming every time he's touched, uh, does not help his case. Those referees, it'd be impossible to figure out with, with Siakam when he's actually fouled because he screams on every play he goes to the basket, whether he's touched or not, like he's getting fouled. So that's a hard one to, but, but I just think it's, it drives me insane that these referees don't call it in the moment and that the idea that they're even remotely waiting to see what happens to the play before they call the foul, that's just a bad look. It's not a great look for a professional. Uh, referees organization, so there you go. It's mine. Drives you crazy. Uh, drives me crazy every time. Uh, I'm sure it'll drive me again crazy tonight when the Phoenix Suns rocking the town. Uh, AOB, you said you had something. AOB,
1: yeah. Just there was a report that came out today. I know everyone likes talking about trade talk. That the uh, Atlanta Hawks, the eight and nine mm-hmm. Atlanta Hawks, so they're scuffling right now. But the eight and nine Atlanta Hawks are still monitoring, monitoring the Pascal Siakam situation and i think that still november 29th we're a long way away from big trades happening but i think uh if if the hawks can turn it around because i don't know if uh, a team with a losing record is going to go out and pull the trigger on a pascal siakam deal but i think as we get closer to december 15th after december 15th and closer to february we're going to start hearing more chat chatter about that Uh, because i think (laughs) Maybe with the way Darko, to go back to the rotations, I think maybe with the way Darko's running these rotations, they're trying to tell us that they care more about development. And for whatever reason, they haven't gotten the Pascal Siakam. We know that they were interested in trading him in the summer. They haven't got the package that they've been waiting for. Uh, but they're obviously interested in potentially moving him. And I think uh, we're not too far away from seeing something like that happen.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, you want to talk about a bad fit, bad chemistry, bad roster construction, put Siakam on that team. That is not where he... That, that is not where he needs to be. And if I'm Atlanta, man, I better be sure I'm signing him. Otherwise, what are you giving up for it? And they have no draft picks. They give up, but they give up most of their draft picks. Um, in what's his for face Murray. for Murray. Uh, and you know what? I, we were talking about this. Who, I can't remember who I was talking about. I think it was uh, Brock. I want to, I want to trade with a team that's going to be shit in three years. Right. Those are the draft picks I want. I wanted I, the, the Celtics set the bar on how you trade your, your aging or your uh, contract, your superstars. You go to a team that wants them to try and win now, and that ultimately is going to be shit three to four years later down the road, and you get those draft picks. The, last yeah, the, problem
1: is, the problem is those teams, you're thinking about the Lakers, you're thinking about the Clippers, those teams now, already have well, given well, up all their first round picks. You're thinking well, about maybe sure. the Suns, they all, all their first round picks are gone.
0: True. The Lakers still have a couple left, but I think it's 27 and 29 is what you could get right now. So that's way down there. I mean, I'd, but I mean, you you know, like, you know who's going to be bad in three years? The Pistons. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, I, you know what? I thought you were going to say the Raptors, but yeah, uh, Pistons for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll monitor that. I Also, did you hear the whole, um, speaking of the Pistons, I heard an OG to the Pistons for maybe an Ivy and a pick. And, no, yeah. no. Can't say I no. I mean I don't know why, I don't know why the Pistons would do that. Right. No. Last the Pistons, They're atrocious. Yeah. Oh my god, they are they are bad. Dwayne bad.
1: Casey was not the problem.
0: No, but uh, apparently a twelve million dollar year coach does not solve all your problems. No. So interesting.
1: But Monty, um, get your bag. Always respect anybody who gets their bag. Get paid. Oh,
0: absolutely. yeah. Absolutely bag. Jeez, yeah, he threw me there for that. He was like, gets his own bags? Well of course he should. Um all right, listen, for me, AOB, it's pretty easy this week. Um, there was a big, big college football game uh, on Saturday, and uh, there were... The
1: Auburn Tigers. The, Nothing like uh, the... Uh,
0: great game. Also a great game. But the one I'm referring to took place uh, near my old uh, stomping grounds, of Windsor, Ontario, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And it would appear that the Ohio State Buckeyes, sign-stealing, no sign-stealing, just they don't have an answer. They did not have an answer for the Wolverines, uh, even though they almost the extinct you know what it's funny. The extinct Wolverines uh could apply to uh the university pretty soon after the uh after this investigation's over. But for the time being, uh innocent until proven guilty. Uh they were the dominant team and your coach is gonna lose his job for it. So um yeah, tough one. Tough one, young young Buck.
1: Yeah, first time or I uh, Ohio State doesn't three lose in three in a row to Michigan very no, often, no, so first time since I was three years old. But I think if if one of these two teams, Ohio State and Michigan, loses their coach next year, I don't think it's going to be Ryan Day.
0: Well, listen, uh, it would be it would be ridiculous if he did. I mean, his record's pretty uh, accomplished outside of these three losses, and he's not a cheater. Well, I mean, neither is neither is uh, Jim Harbaugh. That we, know? I mean. Alligate. No, just occasionally suspended. Yeah. All- alligate. Yeah, exactly. Twice twice in one season. Big deal. He's like Draymond. He's the Draymond of college football. Um but listen, I think the rule is, right? If your team that you cheer for is in, in a certain conference, then moving forward, once your team's eliminated, you should be cheering for your conference. So I will expect you yeah, this go Saturday. Hawkeyes. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna expect you after this Saturday to be maybe maybe even on a plane somewhere watching Michigan in the uh college football championships god forbid let me ask what happened
1: here your dad, your dad, your dad seems like a reasonable guy
0: he needs to play euchre we kill time on the plane you, your dad and i playing euchre be perfect <laughs>
1: all right well listen, what a travesty
0: uh aaron it's without kitron it's, it's your responsibility to uh, to close the pod with um with our guys so do you want to do the honors
1: Kawhi, take it away
0: oh, oh, oh. Kawhi up top Looks at the clock, turns the corner for the win. The Golden! Kawhi Leonard with the game winner. Hang oh. <laughs>